How are we all this morning? Excited? Oh, that's good. There's two people excited. That's excellent. It's always exciting when what you've prepared to speak on is preached by half a dozen people in the meeting before you get up to, to speak. And uh, we've heard so much this morning in little bits and pieces of really, I think, what God wants to say to us this morning. It being Pentecost Sunday, clearly the invitation from heaven is for us to be filled to overflowing with the Spirit. And uh, we, we've had someone here, I forget your name, Ju Julie, lead, Julie, Julia, 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 Julia? <laughs> uh, inviting us to just cry out to God to be filled with the Spirit. And as you know, uh, in Scripture, in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, it says, be filled with the Spirit, and that's a present continuous tense. It means be constantly being filled and filled and filled and filled again with the Spirit. You've heard of um, D.L. Moody, great uh, preacher in America. Uh, he, he said, I'm filled with the Spirit, but I leak. And so I need to be constantly filled again and again. That, that's one invitation this morning. Another invitation uh, which Malcolm brought was people who've got one foot in each camp. The Apostle Paul was uh, in Caesarea on the coast of Israel and he was, uh, I forget which governor it was, it was probably a gripper I think, and uh, he expounded the gospel in this courtroom or in this thr thr throne room and, and this guy said, I'm almost persuaded. I'm almost persuaded. But being almost persuaded is not enough. It's like being on the Titanic and you're almost persuaded to get into a lifeboat. Or the evacuation chute com comes out on the plane uh, that's landed and you're almost persuaded to slide down it. It does say, ladies, you have to take your high heels off. But there are some people who would hang on to their high heels because they mean so much to them. They're almost persuaded, but they're not persuaded enough. And in a sense, those two invitations to be constantly filled with the Spirit and to give our lives to Jesus fully, uh, th those two things are the content of what we're going to look at this morning. We're looking at... The impact of the incarnation. We're looking at John chapter 1, the first few verses, and this morning we're looking at verses 9 and 10. It's so strange tackling this passage a verse or two at a time because each feeds into the other and there's so much overlap that I'm probably not going to say anything new this morning because others have said it already, not, not just this morning. But in the English Standard Version of the Bible, John 1 verses 9 and 10 say this, The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. 
Simple question, who is the true light? Who came into the world? Who did the world not recognize? See, Jesus is the answer to every question at the moment, isn't it? If that's, if that's good. This is how the message translates it. The life light was the real thing. Every person entering life, he brings into light. He was in the world. The world was there through him. And yet the world didn't even notice. And there was a time when none of us noticed Jesus. I don't know how long you've been Christians. Decades upon decades, some of you. Others, perhaps, have only been Christians a few years. Maybe even a few days, who knows. But certainly we know that today is the day of salvation. And as, again, I think it was Malcolm uh, said, today, if you haven't given your life to Jesus... You can. It's as simple as falling off a log. Not quite sure if I've ever fallen off a log, but I've fallen off chairs and fallen off bikes and all sorts of things like that. It's very simple. It's very profound, but it's very simple because we begin at the beginning and we go on learning. What two words did Jesus say when he was gathering his disciples? Follow me. We can have three words, come follow me, yeah, that's fine. Or three other words, come to me, all you who are weary. Is there anyone here who's not weary? Anyone feeling strong and motivated? They feel they've got their life together? Not even one. Because Jesus' invitation to you if you're not weary but strong, if your life isn't falling apart but you've got your life together, if you know where you're going, Jesus' invitation is still the same. Come to me. That's the essence of the gospel. Now the secret is, we have to know that we need him. One of the big C words in our generation, and it always has been, is the word control. How many of you, sorry, how many of us love to be in control? You don't have to put your hands, I see that hand, yes, okay. There are lots of us who love to be in control. So, sometimes it goes so, so far as it becomes a condition where it's OCD. It's compulsive, you've got to be in control. The essence of Christianity is handing over control of your life to Jesus. And for many, that is a huge stumbling block because they want to be in charge of their own life. They want to be captain of their ship, master of their destiny. I've misquoted that, but anyway, you've heard it before. Um, 
But Christianity, the call of Jesus, is to follow him instead of doing your own thing. Is to hand over control of your life to him. Is that a one-off or do we have to do it repeatedly, do you think? Every day. Every day we are going to encounter situations where we can do our own thing or do his. Anyone heard of Mary Yellen? Mary Yellen, does that ring some bells? Aunt Patricia? Sorry, Aunt Patience? Ringing any bells yet? Joss Merlin? Jem Merlin? Bodmin Moore? Daphne du Maurier? <laughs> what are we talking about? You're not readers. Jamaica in. You, who's read Jamaica in? I see that hand. Three of us, four of us, right, okay. It's been on TV recently. One of the girls from Downton Abbey, she, she was Mary Yellen. She's orphaned. She goes to stay with Aunt Patience in Jamaica Inn in the centre of Bod Bodmin Moor. And the landlord is this ferocious uncle of hers, Joss Merlin. And she very quickly learns that he's a smuggler, but she also very quickly, soon after, learns that he's more than a smuggler, he's a wrecker. And if you've read the book, you, you know that it becomes incredibly ferocious and wild and sat savage. As the wreckers put up on the coast false lights to lure ships, onto the rocks, and then they plunder the ships, kill the people, um, and so on. I really recommend you read the book. It's very, very, very well written. Um, that's the false lights. And false lights lead you to your destruction. False lights give false hope, false security, and lead you to your doom. Our coastline, being an island, it's a lot of coastline, is littered with wrecked ships. And some of those have foundered on, on rocks uh, of their own accord, but others have been enticed by a false light. And as we've heard already, I forget from, from whom this morning, uh, there are false lights out there that beckon us to put our security in them. And I guess all of us, before we became Christians, because a Christian is someone that you become, you're not born a Christian. If mum and dad are Christians, you're not automatically a Christian. You have to be born again. You have to make that life decision to follow Jesus. But before we made that decision, or even right now, if you haven't made that decision yet, there are false lights that we are following. Things that we put our security in. Anyone care to suggest any false light that we might be following? Money, we might, might think that financial success is going to be, be the answer. Anything else? 
Sorry? Horoscopes, okay, we want to be spiritual, want to get involved in the supernatural, but we are hopelessly led astray by that which isn't of God. Certain television programs. Right, okay, such as? Soaps, okay. I'm thinking that's reality. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of it, unfortunately, is reality, all condensed into half an hour attention-grabbing drama. Okay. Um, here are some false lights which lead people to their destruction, denying the existence of God. Who says in their hearts, in two of the Psalms, there is no God? The fool. The fool. Now the fool in the Bible is someone who hasn't got their priorities right. Who isn't thinking straight. So denying the existence of God is a false light. Believing that death is the end. So that this life is all I have to live for. I used to teach RE um, for many, many years at secondary level and there were so many kids, teenagers, who clearly did not believe in resurrection but they believed in reincarnation. They believed that they were going to come back. It was always going to be a dolphin or a seal. <laughs> but if you know anything about the, the doctrine of reincarnation, you know you have to be reborn something like 20 million times and you can go backwards as well as forwards. So if you're a man, the worst thing that can happen to you is that you're reborn as a woman. <laughs> we don't believe that. We don't believe that. We don't believe in reincarnation. <laughs> but you could come back as an insect, as a flea. Or you could start going up and be born, born again as a man, but you're born into the wrong caste, so you're an untouchable. Isn't resurrection so much easier? <laughs> and who does get resurrected? Is it just all the men and the women get left behind? Everybody will be resurrected and face judgment. But who has already carried our judgment in his own body? Jesus. So when we stand before God, we can point to Jesus and say, I'm following him. So, denying the existence of God, believing that death is the end, um, believing that man, like with a capital M, I'm not leaving woman out, believing that man is sufficient in and of himself. I don't need God. I don't need anybody else. Individualism, being the king of the castle, locking myself into my home at night and pulling the drawbridge up. There are lots and lots and lots of people who live like, like that. Or believing that my own good works, I'm such a nice person. 
I've done all. The, I've I've helped old ladies across the road, whether they want to go across the road or not. I've led them across. I, I'm, I'm you know I'm building up all this credit because God's going to let me into heaven because of my good works. Because of who I am, I'm a nice person. Me sin? I don't don't sin. Never sinned. Don't even know what sin is, but I've no. If I knew what it was, I, I wouldn't do it. Um, all these are false lights. And there are millions in our world who are following those false lights. There is one true light, Jesus. And he came into the world in these verses that we're reading this morning. He came into the world and it says he enlightened everyone. He enlightened everyone. Now, I wonder what that, that means. What does it mean that Jesus, the true light, enlightened us and all the generations before and all the generations after? What do you think it means to be enlightened? How does Jesus cast his light onto us? Yes? To understand things, to have not knowledge. Okay, all right. To know the truth. Okay. And light enables us to do those things. You go into a darkened room, you switch the light on, and you know where the furniture is so you don't tri trip over it. You know where the assassin with the knife is hiding behind the curtain because the curtain's <laughs> bulging out more than it normally does. Um, light enables us to see the truth. It reveals reality to us. And Jesus does these things. Now, how does Jesus do th these things? How many of you grew up in a family where there was really no reference to God or Christianity and Jesus was just a swear word? How many of you grew up in that, that sort of setting? Okay, fine. How, how many of you grew, grew up um, really not having any awareness of God at all? Okay, right. I can't go through all the, all the descriptions and include everybody. But one of the ways in which Jesus casts his light on us, one of the ways in which the true light enlightens us, is simply through common grace. When good things happen to us. Have good things happened to you? And at the time, you were a bad person. Because good things do happen to bad people. You might have thought you were good. Okay, so good things happen to good people as well. And the mere fact that good things happen to you is one of those clues that Jesus is real, that God is real. He's drawing you to, to himself. Who does the sun shine on? The righteous and the unrighteous. That's common grace. Who does the rain pour down on? The righteous and the unrighteous. So that's one clue. We look at creation. And you begin to think, this is magnificent. It's the handiwork of God. God's fingerprints are over all creation. And that's another clue in which, by, by which God is drawing us to himself. Jesus is drawing us to himself. Coincidences. 
Do you believe in coincidences? Or do you believe that, that God works all things to, uh, together for, for good? It didn't just happen accidentally. God is sovereign. Our conscience. Oh, I feel guilty. Where did that come from? That's God's mercy to us that, that we feel guilty. Before you became a Christian, did, did you have yearnings within that there surely must be more to life than what you were currently experiencing? That's good. Do you still feel that now as a Christian? There must be more. There must be more. I've had breakfast this morning. My body's going to use up all that food as energy. And I'm going out for lunch. And then later on this evening, I'm going to have some more. <laughs> and when I wake up in the morning, I'm going to have breakfast again. Because there's always more in the economy. Are you being rude? <laughs> in, the, in the economy of God, there is always more. It's not just a yearning for more before we become, become Christians, but hopefully each of us has that experience where I must have more. I must read the Bible more. I must have more of the, the, the Spirit. I must get to know Jesus more. There must be more. Anyone agree? There must be more. There must be. Because if this is all I've got, my goodness me, I want more. I want more. So um, we might have Damascus Road type experiences where suddenly God confronts us. You might have been in a, a road traffic accident and you think, gosh, how did I get out of that alive? God stepped into your life and prevented you from being killed or injured. Or you might... Know a Christian, well, you might not know that they are a Christian, but there's someone whose life is so enticing, you think there's something about them, they're different to everybody else. I must find out what makes them tick. Has anyone had that sort of experience? It's one of the ways in which God draws us to himself. It's one of the ways in which the light draws us to himself. Let me read you two, two scriptures. The first one's in Ephesians chapter 2. It's very well known. I won't tell you which verses we're going to finish with because I don't know how far I'm going to read, but we're going to start Ephesians 2, chapter 2, verse 1. As for you, this is addressed to Christians, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. The world means the society of men that has no reference to God. When you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. 
or in the sons of disobedience. Now that puts a different complexion on it, doesn't it? That there's an alien spirit, there's an alien force determined to deceive us and cause us to be disobedient to the call of God. That's a false light. But the fact that Paul is saying this to Christians in Ephesus means that the light of Christ has driven back the darkness and rescued the Ephesian, some of the Ephesian pagans from the hands of the ruler of the kingdom of the air and brought them to Christ. Another passage is in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. These are all very familiar. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So that's where we were. We were led astray, we were disobedient, we were blind. But one day, you heard the gospel as you'd never heard it before and you chose to respond. One of the things that I've been impressed with in the New Testament um, is how often, particularly in the Gospels, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and he says words to the effect, this is a paraphrase, you know the truth, but you are unwilling or reluctant to follow it. And he would say, in effect, here I am, standing before you, the actual embodiment in human form of the truth of God, here I am. This is what the scriptures have been talking about. And yet you know the truth, but you are unwilling to do anything about it. This means that each of us has choice. And when the Holy Spirit breaks into our lives and makes the gospel known to us, we have a choice. Because the Holy Spirit always reveals Jesus. It's what he loves doing. It's what he loves doing. He's the best man. He's the best man at the wedding. And, and he is introducing the bride and the groom. He's introducing us to Jesus. And the Spirit always reveals Jesus. The Spirit shows us who Jesus is. And the Spirit shows us who we are and our desperate need of salvation. And we know that our salvation is found only in Jesus. When Paul was in pagan Athens in southern Greece, he was encountering a, a different sort of audience. They were intellectual. They weren't shopkeepers and far farmers. They, they were the so-called intelligentsia. And yet he said to them, God 
commands all men everywhere to repent. Now Jesus in John chapter 6 verse 44 says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. And you think, here are two things that seem to be contradictory. I can't come to God, the Father, unless Jesus draws me. So do I just wait until I feel drawn? And then the Apostle Paul says, God commands all men everywhere to repent. And what we find in Scripture is these two things that seem to be, well, at either end of the spectrum, they are both gloriously true. It's the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. In the purposes of God, I heard the gospel from the age of 11 to 16, probably three times every Sunday. The brethren thought that everybody, including teenagers, but everyone else needed to be kept in church as many times as possible on a Sunday so they didn't get into trouble. So we had meeting after meeting after meeting. And after the meeting, there was an after meeting. But I heard the gospel <coughs> hundreds and hundreds of times. And I thought I was a Christian. Kind of by osmosis, you know, because I go to church, I must be saved. Because I agree intellectually with the gospel, I must be saved. But what happened to me one day, one, one Sunday evening in March, was I heard the gospel again. This time it was an Irish accent from a visiting preacher. And it really struck home. Wow, I've got to do something about this. I had to make a choice. The Pharisees were unwilling to make that choice. But God commands all men everywhere to repent. So that means it must be possible to do it. Because God wouldn't ask us to do something we can't do. Now, how do we manifest, how do we represent the gospel in such a way that we are helping people who don't know Jesus yet to make those right decisions? You will remember, of course, that God is not willing for anyone to perish, but he wants everyone to come to repentance. And he keeps saying, come to me. It may be through your life that they will hear that. It may be through your words they will hear that. It may be that you can make an amazing contribution to the journey that someone who is not yet a Christian is on. And you don't know whether you're at the beginning of that journey, in the middle of that journey, or at the end of that journey. But God wants us to have the power of the Spirit to be effective witnesses for him. Now, how can we be effective witnesses? How can we help people who are almost persuaded? How can we help people who don't know anything about Jesus? 
How can we help people who are disinterested in what Christianity has to offer? Now, ultimately, of course, it's all in the hands of God. Ultimately, it's the work of the Spirit in their lives. But we do not remain passive. What's the first thing we need to do? I'm going to give you four things. If you like making lists, here are four things to put in a list. The first one is to model God's grace. Are you a gracious person? Do gracious words come out of your mouth? Are you a living representation of God's grace? Or do people, when they see you coming down the road, they cross over to the other side? Oh no, I don't want to talk to them. Now it may be that they cross over the row because they know you're going to bang on about Christianity again. Which in itself is fine. But instead of banging on about Christianity, we need to seek the Spirit so that we can present our Christian faith with grace. And <coughs> one of the ways in which we model grace is that we live on a daily basis an attractive winsome, authentic, Christ-like life. There's a story, it's one of these apocryphal stories. Um, don't know how true it is, but I'd like it to be true of us, each one, one of us. Someone knocked on the door of a person and said, I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. And this person said, you don't have to. I've been living next door to him all my life. They were just talking about the neighbour, but that neighbour was so gracious that this non-Christian saw them in terms of Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? That's wonderful. So the first thing is to model grace by living an attractive, winsome, authentic, Christ-like life. The second thing, suppose someone stopped you on the street and said, I'm desperate to know what the gospel is. I've got two minutes before my bus comes. Can you please tell me? Oh, I'm sorry, it would take you about three hours to tell you what the gospel is. You've got two minutes to tell the gospel to so someone who is ripe for saving. So the second thing we have to do to be able to help people recognize the true light and follow Jesus is we need to know our Bibles, we need to know the gospel, and we need to be able to explain it simply accurately and relevantly. I was going to use some illustrations about country music this morning, but my wife said, no one will know what you're talking about. So, <laughs> so I won't. Although there was that lovely country song we played this morning. I thought that was marvellous. I thought, oh, get the old high heel boots out. Um, okay, so live an attractive life. Model grace. Know the Bible, know the gospel, and be able to explain it briefly and quickly because someone may be just about to get into the lifeboat on the Titanic. You've got to be able to explain it quickly. But no, notice, <coughs> your words have got to be compatible with your life. That's one of the key things. The third thing, which we began with in many ways, is to be baptized with the Spirit. 
constantly filled with the Spirit so that we have nice feelings? Bit of get up and go? What does Acts 1 verse 8 say? So that we've got power to be witnesses. And fourthly, <coughs> you're beginning to think of all your own number fours, aren't you? You think, now what's he going to say? What's he going to say? Number four. The first one, model grace. The second one, know the Bible, know the gospel. The third one, be constantly filled with the Spirit. And number four, make the most of every opportunity because the days are, I'm pretty sure it says in my Bible, evil. Because the days are evil. And we are living in unprecedented days. If we decide to stay in the EU, life is going to continue to be different. If we decide to leave the EU, life is going to be different. That's on a national, international scale, regardless of all the things that happen in our own lives and our own relationships. The days are evil. But empowered by the Spirit, we can make the most of every opportunity. I'll finish with just repeating the words that Jesus said. When he was choosing his disciples, he said, follow me. That's where it all begins. And this morning is another opportunity, if you are not a Christian, for you to say, right, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to repent of my sin. I believe that you died for my sin on the cross. I believe that you rose again to put me in right standing with God. That's amazing. It's exciting. We've had the excitement spoken about a couple of times by a couple of people this morning. That is what I want for my life. I'm going to follow Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you.